the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Hey, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pro-America Report. This is Ryan Height filling in today for Mr. Ed Martin, and I am glad to be here with you, glad to be uh, taking part in the show today, and I look forward to talking with you on a lot of good topics that we've got, some important things coming up, and uh, a very important wink, uh, what you need to know to kick off the uh, show here today. But before we get there, let me remind you, go to ProAmericaReport.com. First of all, you'll find Ed's Substack. Subscribe there and make sure you keep up with what he's writing and talking about often goes hand in hand with the wink the first segment here on the pro america report but a lot more in depth as well and then of course also go to phyllisschlafly.com there at phyllisschlafly.com you will find uh, not only the work that uh, ed and i do our day jobs here working for phyllis schlafly eagles but you will find there an entire list of all of the podcasts all of the standalone guest segments all the resources the links uh in the pro america report lineup also And most importantly, you'll be able to sign up for the Wink email there that we send out every weekday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Time and all the corresponding time zones. The Wink email is nice and short, gets you a quick point, what you need to know for the day, and a few links, and it is incredibly important. So this is uh, this is always this first um, uh, uh, this first segment here of the Pro America Report gives us an opportunity. You got to get a little bit of a window into probably some of what's coming tomorrow in the Wink email. Imagine that. Uh, imagine that they share the same name. <laughs> but uh, today, that is certainly going to be the truth, and uh, we've got a couple of great guests ahead, but. Before we get there, we need to talk about something. There's been quite a bit of discussion on this program about lawfare, about the absolute injustice of the American justice system. And it's it's something that we've talked about a lot in the context of uh, stuff that's going on against President Trump, stuff that is happening, uh, lawsuits and challenges and complaints that are being brought against his advisors and campaign team members and people from his past administration. There is so much that is happening there. And yet there's even more that connects that you should know about, because it's not just the powerful people on the right, the outspoken people, the the Donald Trumps of the world on the right that are being persecuted by our American justice system. It's normal people. It's the yous and me's. 
and I know that we talk about this quite a bit with uh, regards to the January 6th prisoners and what has happened there, that the absolute travesty, um, the complete denial of due process that has happened for so many of these folks who showed up at a political rally and ended up finding their way, you know, admittedly into a very dicey and probably bad situation. And yet the response to them has been so over the top and so uh, absolutely antithetical to the very fundamental processes of our justice system that it has just turned into a catastrophe uh, to watch what's happening. So here, here's a new piece of this. Uh, moving away from January 6th, moving away from Donald Trump, I want to back something up and make a broader point here. We're going to come out here to the Midwest and we're going to talk about a story you may have heard about, but I'd like to, I'd like to draw a conclusion here so that we all fully understand the uh, ramifications and the breadth of this situation we're dealing with. So h- here's what you need to know. What you need to know is the truth about the American justice system. And that truth is, it's not about truth anymore. It's not about facts. It's not about evidence. It's not about protecting uh, fundamental rights. What it is, is about picking winners and losers. Just like the executive branch has done for years and like Congress has done for years, picking winners and losers in business, handing out grants, handing out uh, money, federal monies and contracts uh, in, in addition or in re, uh, response for favors and all sorts of different things. I mean, Solyndra, anyone uh, for those of you who don't remember, go look that up. Solyndra, the uh, green solar panel fiasco during the Obama years. Uh, Government has been picking winners and losers for a long time, but now, very specifically, our American justice system is not in the business of justice or in the business of rights or the business of truth. They are in the business of picking winners and losers, picking who they do and do not like. And I don't believe we could get a more clear picture of that expanding past the world of Donald Trump, which, fine, you could even throw the January 6th folks into that world, uh, that that kind of basket, uh, not a basket of deplorables, mind you, into that uh, that basket or that bucket of, of topics. But here, you may have heard uh, back, uh, what was this, uh, I, th- I believe in uh, December, someone marched into the Iowa State House and decapitated a satanic statue that had been put on display by the local temple of Satan or satanic church. I, I forget the satanic temple, I think, in, in the uh, in the area. This display should not have been erected in the first place. Let's get something abundantly clear. And there's a whole big conversation to be had here about religious liberty and governmental recognition of or or allowances of. Here's the deal. This should never have been allowed in the first place. I actually, here's, here's something I agree wholeheartedly on. I think someone asked uh, uh, Ron DeSantis as he was campaigning around Iowa at that point what he thought. His, his response was that Satan has no place in society and should not be recognized as a quote-unquote religion by the federal government. I, I happen to agree here. Uh, this is a time when this, this notion of just allowing anything is not accurate, it's not healthy, it's not good for society. This is something, a cult, that ought to be rejected, that has been across all the civilizations of the past and has been kept hidden and secret for a reason. It is not socially acceptable. It is not uh, morally acceptable. And, and this is one of those basic, you know, this, this is not what they meant by the free exercise of religion. This is, in fact, not what the founding fathers meant. And again, this is kind of a whole separate topic we could go into. But, but here's what's happened. Some guy marches in, uh, a veteran, I think his name is Michael Cassidy, a guy from Mississippi, he marches in, he decapitates this statue as a little bit of a stand, as a, as a statement. 
uh, to march in and do this. You could call it stupidity. I, I would call it some courage. But here's what's going on. He is being charged, not with property destruction, with vandalism, with destruction of private property, even though this is on public property. He's not being charged with destruction of, of public pop- property. Here's what's happening. He is being charged federally with fourth degree criminal mischief and he is being charged with a hate crime he's being charged with a hate crime allegedly because of the the damage cost of of this item i i don't understand how the cost of damage can be labeled into this hate crime proposition which already i believe there is a fundamentally huge debate on whether this is a thing or not i, I tend to say it's not this this thought crime hate i this you know here's here's the deal at bare minimum you're getting into a very very dicey world of adjudication um, instead of punishing an act, you're punishing intent. And this is, it's its very dicey. But this guy is being charged with a hate crime because he supposedly, according to KCCI, uh, or I'm sorry, or KCGI, uh, he is being charged because it was a, vi- he was, his acts were in violation of individual rights in the state. So he's being charged with third degree minimal uh, uh, criminal mischief and a class D. uh, It is a class D felony. He is being charged with a class D felony, could face a fine of uh, up to seven thousand five hundred dollars and a prison sentence of up to five years. This is absolutely insane to me, especially when you live in the world that we live in now, where mobs of people are tearing down and destroying statues of the founding fathers, of American historical figures, of people that they don't like. Here, someone is tearing down a statue of the devil, and he's being charged with a Class D felony. And a lot of these other people have no charges whatsoever, let alone felonious charges. This is an incredible double standard, and and it reveals to us the very telling uh, principle that the Department of Justice in America, with the handing out of these hate crimes and with the hand, and or the lack thereof, this is about picking in winners and losers. This is about the abject failure to follow a due process, a jurisprudence uh, that is sound, and instead to dole out uh, free passes to the people you support and to dole out. Uh, hatred and stumbling blocks and punishments to the people you don't like. That is exactly what we are looking at with the American justice system today. And it is a double standard that should absolutely make your skin crawl, your blood boil, whatever analogy you want to use. You should be angry about this, but we should also be upset knowing this is coming for everyone. It's not just this guy in Iowa. It's not just the guys and gals in D.C. who were there for January 6th. This is coming across the country. This display of we will punish you if we don't like your opinion and all these other people who do the exact same thing but flipped around the other direction toward your religious references or statues toward your historical references or statues. No, those folks get a pass. And what an incredibly frustrating double standard. And that's not a strong enough word. This should make you angry as an American that the justice system in America is picking winners and losers based on their political positions. It's disgusting. We have got to do something about this. We need a U.S. president that will do something about this. And that's what you need to know. 
the truth about American justice. So I'm sorry to start it off with such a frustrated note, but this is something we have got to deal with. And I hope that we look at this further as we go in. It goes beyond the lawfare that's happening against Donald Trump, the J6ers. This is coming back to the heartland states, to the U's and me's as we express our political and uh, spiritual opinions. So be warned, folks. But uh, that's it. That's what you need to know. And we will dive right on in here. Come on after the break. We'll get into a couple of great guests. In the meantime, go to ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisSchlafly.com, and we will see you back here in just a moment on the Pro America Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, uh, Steve Gorham, he was with us a while ago. Uh, He's the executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. He's written uh, books on energy, climate change, sustainable development. Uh, More than 100,000 copies are out in print. I think it's four or five books. His newest book uh, late last year, uh, excuse me, is uh, Green Breakdown, the Recoming Renewable Energy Failure. It's been out a few months and uh, look half of what it uh, I think is what he was uh, talking about. Um, Maybe not half, but a lot of things that he was talking about in the uh, book are coming true. So first of all, welcome, sir. How are you? Hey, Ed. I'm, I'm doing well. Great to join you. Thank you. And you can find out more of Steve's work, stevegorham.com is his website. All right. First, I, you mentioned in some notes, we're going back and forth. Um, John Kerry, for a couple of years now, I guess almost three years, he's been the U.S. climate envoy. What yeah. the heck was that? What did he do? Uh, give me your sort of feedback on uh, on John Kerry as he fades off of the stage in that sense. Well, it was a position that uh, was filled by President Biden with uh, uh, Mr. Kerry, and uh, his efforts have been to uh, go and talk to nations around the world and try and get everybody to agree that uh, we need to get rid of coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, We need to go with renewables uh, in order to stop the planet from warming. Um, But he's uh, made some outrageous statements uh, recently. Uh, just a month ago, he called for a ban on all coal-fired power plants across the world, which is really astonishing in many ways, uh, uh, very, very uh, unfortunate. Uh, so the situation with coal-fired power is that it provides 35% of the world's electricity today. It's the biggest source of electricity. And we have uh, about 6,500 coal-fired power plants in the world. Another 1,000 are in planning or being built but the world is a shortage of electricity right now. We have uh, 700 million people that don't have access to electricity, another 2 billion that have blackouts or brownouts every single day. And if you're in the United States and you have an air conditioner, that air conditioner uses more electricity than about a third of the world's people. So Mr. Kerry's statement to ban coal-fired powers is, uh, you know, my best uh, comparison is Marie Antoinette when she said, uh, if the people don't have food, let them eat cake. I mean, it really is crazy. Uh, He would rather see the people of the world not have electricity than have coal-fired power because wind and solar can't make up for this. So it's really a sad situation, but but it's uh, right in line with this this goal of trying to get to net zero by 2050. 
Uh, Steve Gorham is our guest. Again, he's uh, written a number of books on this subject. His newest book, uh, which is out late last year, Green Breakdown, The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. So uh, good riddance, uh, John Kerry. I never thought I'm, you know, I I feel like he was a pal of Biden's and that, you know, a former senator, he won't get much pushback from his own Senate colleagues. So he's sort of gallivanting around the world and a very rich guy. So nobody really, uh, I don't think, um, you know, it didn't strike me that he was leading on much of anything, but, but Steve, um, What's the deal with the electric vehicles? A lot of press now coming out of Detroit and the and the big automakers that failing in that. Obviously, Tesla is succeeding as a company, at least, although I often point out to people they made a lot of their uh, success on the backs of uh, of subsidies from the government. I mean, for all Elon Musk's perception as a capitalist and as a conservative, he, he used he used and uses the uh, the the subsidized uh, uh, market. It, uh, pretty skillfully. So, but what's going on with this? What's the reality, and um, what's the future? Do you think? Well, the uh, uh, EVs, have, the EV industry, has hit a big speed bump last year. There's faltering electric vehicle demand. Uh, electric vehicle inventories are up over 300 percent at Ford and General Motors. Ford is losing between 40 and 60 thousand on each electric vehicle sold, uh, projecting a four and a half billion dollar loss for la- from last year. So Ford and GM are now uh, are delaying new EV models, and it appears that the the early adopter phase is over. Uh, you know, you want that cool Tesla, that's great, or if, uh, for your second car, or if you can drive a short discharge at home, drive a short distance to work, that works pretty well too. But the problems are piling up. Uh, we just had a big black eye in Chicago. Uh, we had uh, very, very cold weather, and uh, EVs not only lose range when you get down to about 10 degrees Fahrenheit or zero, but they literally will not charge outside. You have to have a heated facility to charge your electric vehicle. So we have all these news stories about people pushing cars around in, in, uh, in charging lots and waiting for hours and hours. And, oh, by the way, you're not supposed to put your heater on while you're charging your, <laughs> your EV either. <laughs> right. Very, very tough when it's zero. We also have insurance issues. Uh, insurance is, it, it requires about 70% more to insure an EV. Uh, and Hertz is, uh, has announced they're, uh, they're, they're uh, reselling 30% of their EV fleet, uh, 100,000 cars, uh, because uh, uh, they're expensive. Uh, there's there's uh, collision issues. And frankly, a lot of people don't want them. They don't want an EV and don't want to put up with it. So, so the industry's hit a big speed bump. Uh, we just need uh, EVs are going to penetrate world markets, but we should let people make their own choice. Governments should get out of the way and quit trying to force everybody on the idea that we can stop the oceans from rising if, if we all drive an EV. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's modern superstition. Uh, we're talking again with Steve Gorham and his uh, book uh, is uh, he's executive director of the Climate Science Coalition of America. Uh, uh, he's got books, uh, four books on energy, climate change, sustainable development. His newest one is Green Breakdown, uh, the coming renewable energy failure. Um Steve, we've had a we've had a scientist on my friend Gregory Wrightstone of the CO2 Coalition. And, oh, and I said yeah. to him recently, um, it feels like and, and tell me what you think that we've turned a corner on the re, on an, an understanding by most people. Maybe that's a little too dramatic, but many, many people now realize that big aspects of the green energy crisis are hoaxes. Not all of the science is a hoax, but all 
almost all of the solutions that, you know, we should pay and we should change behavior. Uh, don't don't have don't don't rely on anything that can be thought to be a serious model that would yield that. And frankly, it looks a lot like control and money transfer. But so back to my question, it does. It do, am I feeling that right? Are, are more people, maybe Americans, let's stick with them, understanding what's going on and, and less prone to the hysteria? Yeah, I think it's a mix in the U.S., about half and half. Some believe and and some disbelieve, uh, you know, but it, it is very likely we go into a cooling period for a few decades here, and the theory is going to become untenable. Uh, but there's a lot of things. Snow is not disappearing, despite the fact we got uh, ski uh, ski organizations in Colorado suing the oil companies for snow disappearing. Uh, we're not, we have many more polar bears. The oceans are rising about the same they have over the last two or three centuries, seven or eight inches a century. Uh, we're not seeing more hurricanes. We're not seeing stronger storms. Uh, the press says differently, but when you look at the data, you don't see that this stuff is true. Uh, uh, and then finally, this is going to break down because of the economics. Uh, the push for, for green energy is going to mean higher energy prices, electricity blackouts, loss of freedom and what I call energy shocks, and people just aren't going to put up with this. They're going to demand a return to low-cost, reliable energy. So uh, the the economics and the science are ven- eventually going to win out, and people are going to get back to, to what makes some sense. Uh, it's it is. I think that I, I think I feel it more and more. You know, it was one thing at conservative events and conservative uh, um, uh, uh, things. You'd see people saying, hey, this is, uh, you know, almost the opposite, saying I'm not listening to anything you say. Now, I just think more and more people are are aware of it. Um, one last thing, Steve, we're running out of time again. Steve Gorham is uh, the executive director, of Climate Science Coalition of America. His new book is Green Breakdown. Um do you think worldwide, do you th- I just saw an article about Nigeria and, and don't, don't you think worldwide that the only thing that matters to nations is energy costs and the idea of st- stunting your ability to handle that is it, it's causing more of the unrest in the world than anything else? Well, there are three big things. I think there's cost reliability and there's pollution and environmental issues. The problem is we've gotten off track with pollution. We're calling carbon dioxide a pollutant. That's goofy. Uh, we need to get back to solve, solving real problems like uh, uh, wastewater discharge, uh, carbon monoxide, carbon uh, uh, um, particulates, other things in the air, uh, not carbon dioxide again, uh, plastic in the oceans. Those are the real problems to solve. So uh, uh, that's what we need. Where we've gone off the rails. Let's get back and uh, and and uh, say carbon dioxide is great and solve real pollution issues, as well as reliability and cost. All right, Steve Gorham, thank you for being out there on this and for writing that book. And uh, and uh, we'll have you back on again. Steve Gorham again is the executive director of Climate Science Coalition of America. His book is Green Breakdown: The Coming Renewable Energy Failure. And uh, I'll put all that up on social media and links to it also. And we got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, very interesting, his book, uh, which I was sent um, a week or two ago, and I, I went through it in a couple of nights, Beat the Incumbent, Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. Just out about a week and a half ago, it came out and uh, from Radius Book Group. His name is Louis Perone. Uh, he's a Dr. Louis Perone, a PhD, uh, who has been active all across the world, actually, uh, in, in races and campaigns uh, everywhere in the world. He himself uh, comes from Europe originally. And uh, his book, again, is Beat the Incumbent. Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So my old boss, the late Phyllis Schlafly, used to say one of the best ways that she came to understand candidates and campaigns was to lose. She ran for Congress as a young woman and lost. I had the same experience, actually. And when I say that, I mean that there's nothing like the experience of having been in a re- in a race and, 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 and making the mistakes and also succeeding. Is that your experience, too? I mean, you, you it looks like many of your candidates win their races, but there's something about having a lost where you have to figure it out more than when you won. Yes, I would absolutely agree with your former boss. <laughs> Actually, if you think about it, many great politicians have <laughs> lost a race early in their career. And it's right. true in the US, it's true internationally. And I think it's true. Um, losing, especially when you're early in your career, teaches you some lessons. And I think it's a very humbling experience. And yes, I've learned a lot myself from clients with whom I've lost. Uh, our guest is again Louis Perone, and his book is uh, out available anywhere books are. I'm looking at, I think I've got mine up open on uh, Amazon, but it, the book again is Beat the Incumbent Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. How significantly has the world changed in terms of uh, technology and messaging and, 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 excuse me, technology and messaging? Meaning, you know, it used to be you'd, you'd craft a message, you'd, you'd probably try it on the stump, you'd talk about it, maybe you'd do an interview, you'd do some mail. Now you're on X or on Facebook Live within 30 seconds. It's good and bad. You can find out quickly what doesn't work or does work. But it also means that people, I think, expect something immediate more. It seems like it's gotten more challenging than ever to be a candidate. Definitely, because uh, public opinion has become more volatile, which Mm -hmm. is an advantage for challengers. People are more willing to take a risk. But of course, speed has increased dramatically. I mean, it used to be a new cycle of what, like 24 hours? Now, practically (laughs) nonstop new cycle. Um, The tools have changed dramatically. Uh, We have uh, much different tools available now. Even actually, besides my consulting, I'm also teaching political marketing for more than 10 years. And if I compare during those 10 years, I mean, the environment in which campaigns take place, the media environment has changed dramatically. All that said, the fundamentals and basics of strategy have actually not changed that much. And I must say, probably will never change much. I think you still need a message. You need discipline. You need a strategy on how you will reach your target audience. And having a plan and a message and a strategy is even more important than ever to manage the chaos. And I'm telling candidates, if you don't have it before you enter this, it, it will it, you'll not do it later on and it will just uh, end up in chaos 
Uh, we're, we're again, we're talking with uh, Louis Perone. Uh, Dr. Louis Perone is a consultant all over the world on, on political campaigns and messaging. His book is Beat the Incumbent, Proven Strategies and Tactics to Win Elections. Uh, you, you know, the how about um, this moment in history? In your book, you actually talk, I thought was one of the sections I found the most interesting um, in some sense when you, you were talking about that you 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 there's more uh, moving beyond traditional left and right. And, and, and to be honest, that that sounds a little like a, that can be a cliche to people, you know, don't don't get caught on the left or the right or whatever. But what I would say is the populist message now in the modern moment, whether you're talking about Europe or you're talking about America. You know, you suddenly have the environmentalists will will be um, with you if you're a, a, a market capitalist, if you want to oppose the big corporations. I mean, there's a there's a part of this sort of populist uh, thing. You know, there was an, a quote in Politico from the Davos uh, period a week or two ago where the, 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 the author said the Davos uh, attendees have no idea what to make of all this populism. That is that is that new, uh, Lewis? Is it new? Populism is it new how we're feeling it because of the the the, the social media immediacy what what's going on there I think what's going on is that people are more willing to take a risk on populists or on outsiders I mm. mean if you look mm. at Argentina yeah uh, for example just the last example I think Donald Trump in 2016 was really actually an outsider so I think what's happening is that public opinion has become more volatile and people are more willing to take a risk on them and of course it's a great advantage for challengers I mean I write about some people in the book for example Zelensky right uh, Zelensky was a comedian uh, <laughs> and the first office he ever ran for was the presidency of Ukraine and right. I think he won in large part because people were really not just unhappy with the status quo but really angry with with the entire political class so by voting for him they actually wanted to get rid of the entire political class i have other people i write about for example macron who was part of the incumbent government, but stepped down as a minister and founded his own party, left the Socialist Party where he belonged before, founded his own movement. And I think if the exact same Macron would not have left the government, left the party and founded his own movement, his claim to be for change would not never have been as credible. Uh, we're talking with Louis uh, Perone, Dr. Louis Perone, uh, by the way, uh, on I, I like on your uh, on your LinkedIn profile, it says I make mayors, governors and presidents. <laughs> That's the tagline. I think it's fantastic. It made me smile. Uh, his book is just out just a week or two ago. Beat the incumbent uh, power, proven strategies and tactics to win elections. Two quick questions. One. The power of the incumbent, you know, in America, it's unbelievably powerful to be the incumbent in Europe. Same thing. And maybe a related topic is, you know, you, you know, you mentioned Macron left a ministry position, started his own movement and was able to succeed. America, that's not possible, right? You're either Republican or Democrat. These people that do third party talk, you may get to you may get your voice heard, but you're not going to actually get into office. That's not a path forward. I guess the my point here is. There is a it feels like there's a growing trap that the powerful, the in power have over the rest of us. Is that worse than it's been before or is it just how I'm feeling about it? Probably it's uh, how you're feeling about it. But <laughs> I think, I mean, I, I think in the end, the politicians are quite a good, actually, representation of the country they're leading. 
if you think about it, in a way, Donald Trump, he is very, very American, no? And right. uh, I think if the exact same Donald Trump would have been born in Germany, he may have done some great real estate in Frankfurt, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure he not have risen to a- any the, the hierarchy of any of the, the major parties. And the other way around, I mean, if you think about it, Angela Merkel should have been born an American I, I doubt she would make it through a primary. I mean, she would probably have been a professor of chemistry in Harvard, <laughs> but I doubt she would have won even a primary election. So in the end, people represent their countries really well. And I think it's actually a key thing if you want to lead, whether you're an outsider or not, you have to uh, touch the nerve of your country, of your time. Now, going back to the other question that you mentioned before about the incumbency advantage, still is a factor, of course. And uh, in the US in particular, a big part of it, especially for congressional races, is fundraising. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have barely ever seen an incumbent that is not at least at par with his challenges with respect to fundraising. And I mean, that's just one aspect of the incumbency advantage that you really have to milk and maximize. And I think it's part of the reason why many congressional races are not competitive. Yeah, it's um, it, I think I agree with you. By the way, I should have set up a little bit better, even though uh, uh, Dr. Louis Perron, our guest, is uh, over and based in Zurich and all over the world. He, I, I think I have it right that you studied in America at the at George Washington University. Is that is that is that right? Yes. So uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, twenty years ago. Yeah, great, yes, great so, experience. Yeah, I, so you I have it in DC <laughs> because uh, I felt like everybody in the city is like me. <laughs> that's Finally, interesting. I'm in a place where everybody's like me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> interesting. All right. Well, the book again is beat the incumbent uh dr lewis perone i will put it up on social media we're at a break unfortunately i've got to go uh and uh we will make sure to uh link to all that very interesting interesting book very good i read a lot of these books and i i was very uh intrigued and challenged and so we'll take a break though everybody we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Early last November, Ohio voters voted in a statewide referendum on a constitutional amendment protecting a so-called right to abortion. The amendment passed, making Ohio the seventh state where voters decided to protect abortion through law. Since the decision, there has been breathless coverage stating that pro-life is a losing issue for Republicans. Detractors say that it's time to get over the life issues and move on because it will lose elections and that suburban voters don't like it. This rhetorical game is to be expected on the life issue. It occurs regularly, but it's pure nonsense. It's nonsense because votes like this one in Ohio do not come down to voter sentiment alone. Out-of-state funding plays a huge role in these types of referenda. In Ohio, the pro-abortion side had about $75 million spent on their side, whereas conservatives only had about $15 million. The pro-choicers outspent the pro-lifers by 5 to 1. This doesn't necessarily mean that pro-life is a hard and fast losing issue. It more so indicates that the far left and radical Democrats know how to drum up voter turnout. 
The Democrats can run more ads and get more boots on the ground with these campaigns, which in turn makes people who lean pro-choice more likely to get out there and vote. This highlights a problem facing the conservative movement. It's not that conservatives are picking losing issues or issues that don't matter. The problem is that conservatives don't seem as interested in organizing well and getting out the vote. Organizational efforts to get boots on the ground and talk to people about issues that are important to them and emphasizing that they need to go vote on these issues that matter are what is missing right now. The radical left has an army of nonprofits and foundations on their side ready to organize support for any issue. Conservatives need to meet them on the same level. We have to get organized so that we can get out the vote as well as they do. If we don't, the Democrats will continue to win on important issues like abortion. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Our mission, clearly stated at phyllisschlafly.com, is to enable and mobilize grassroots activism on behalf of cherished conservative values. You're encouraged today to go online and read the goals we support and those we oppose. Then join us. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and come back next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, in the uh, category of doing the right thing is worth uh, noticing and worth paying attention to. I got a text from a friend of mine, good friend of mine, good buddy of mine from my college days. His name is Mark, Mark Riley, and a great guy, super guy, a little bit liberal, but really good guy. And uh, he and I uh, spent some time when we were in college. We went on a trip down to uh, Cuernavaca in Mexico and spent like two weeks down there on awareness. Uh, One of these things we I think he may be better. He may be at the time better at Spanish, probably is now, too. I'm not that good at Spanish. But it was a lot about awareness about what was going on there. It was an amazing trip, really, for, I don't know, 17, 18, 19, maybe we were 19. 20 year olds who had never, I'd never been abroad anywhere. And, uh, in fact, we met incredible people, uh, learned a lot about what it's like to live in, uh, in poverty in places like Mexico. Anyway, great guy, Mark. And we don't agree on a lot of things all the time. And he texted me and said, Hey, uh, doesn't this show that the system works? And he linked to an article uh, that I had seen the story of, but hadn't seen the details. And that is about this, this uh, guy that went to work for the IRS as a consultant. And he leaked Donald Trump's tax returns uh, and lots of other people's, by the way. I think it was thousands of other people, uh, but he got caught. And uh, so what my friend Mark sent me was this uh, article that the guy actually, the tax return leaker, this consultant to the IRS who leaked the Trump tax returns, he got five years in prison. And the judge, Judge Reyes, said, you know, it can't be like this. It can't be open season on elected officials. And actually, the thing that was uh, pretty cool about this is he got the maximum uh, sentence that he was allowed to get because the judge said it was terrible. Um, I think his own attorneys asked for a lot less, obviously. And even the prosecutors, maybe they uh, uh, they don't know. The prosecutors did ask for they asked for the max. So I suppose he could have been charged with a lot of other things. But five years in federal prison uh, for um, what is effectively a white collar crime, you know, and I don't think this guy had any um 
He didn't have the the guy that uh, got this jail term uh, did not have any uh, priors, I don't think. And so that's a pretty good sentence. And so to my friend, Mark, uh, Mark, you're exactly right. They should be praised. This judge should be praised. The DOJ should be praised. I mean, I, I have become someone who is very critical of all of it. All of the sentencing that happens in the federal system, I I subscribe to distrust, then verify. I just don't trust the prosecutors. And that would be true for, you know, uh, uh, drug crimes. It would be true for uh, all kinds of violent crimes. And, you know, I've got friends in the ACLU world that probably uh, chuckle if they hear me say this, because 20 years ago, they would have been telling me, you know, these too many of the federal prosecutors are really bullies and they dominate and and it's not fair. And I probably would have been like, well, you got to put them away. You know, you got to do the right thing. Now I'm much more, uh, I'm much more cynical. I'm much more uh, inclined to distrust than verify on all these different, uh, especially the federal prosecutors, because they have such an, an advantage. They have such an advantage as, as I forget now who was the uh, defendant who was going, he said, you, you are going up against the best law firm in the world. That's the Department of Justice, especially when it's main justice in Washington. But in general, because they have the, mo- the best lawyers, they have the best, um, backup. They have the, the most, um, uh, resources, you know, you, they don't have to make decisions based on um, an upcoming election like a local prosecutor sometimes does. And so this is a pretty good example to my friend uh, Mark's point of the uh, the the lawyer getting um, uh, excuse me, the, the the defendant getting the maximum sentence and for the right reason. You know, I, I actually probably would have said as to a white collar crime, you know, with no priors, maybe this guy deserves leniency. But the judge's points point was you clearly did this um, and and sought to do it as a consultant and, and leaked not just Trump, but uh, thousands of others as a way to make people a target, to make it so people sh- will not want to serve in public life and will not want to be out in the thing. It's this is exactly the opposite of the lawfare. The judge is saying you're not allowed to use lawfare. You're not allowed to use a legally required filing, the IRS filings, and then go leak it in such a way against the law and against public policy and, and damage people. That Otherwise, you're not going to have people that want to serve in public life. You're not going to want to have people that are willing to go out there. And uh, and so good for Judge Reyes uh, for doing this. Um, she is uh, um, a uh, Biden nominee. So that's another part of this. And she called it an attack on our democracy. And um, and you shouldn't be able to target the sitting president. You shouldn't be able to target other people. Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty great, actually. I think it's um, I think it's fantastic. And uh, I think it's really good that if the coverage is uh, I, after Mark sent it to me, I went look and it's covered everywhere. And people are covering it and people should be praising it. People should be people should be saying this is exactly what should happen. This is the thing that you have to do to to people. Hold them accountable when they do these things. If he had gotten away with it and sort of gotten nothing or, you know, gotten a a fine or or went on his way. And, you know, you could think back, by the way, that remember the lawyer that worked for the FBI that I think it was uh, convicted or pled guilty to changing the FISA applications or fraud, uh, fraud, uh, fraud uh, committing fraud on that, falsifying those documents. He got nothing, I think. And it maybe got his bar license suspended for a half a minute. And that that felt like he wasn't held accountable to something that was a big deal. But in this case, the system worked.
As my friend Mark said, the uh, doesn't this show the system works? And yes, it does. It shows the system works and it's worth praising. And so thank you to this Biden appointed judge for doing the right thing in this case. And uh, unless I'm missing something like there could have been massive numbers of other charges, it seems like five years is plenty of a message uh, not to do this, to both to this guy and to anybody else thinking about it. So there you have it. Good stuff. All right, I got to run. Thank you, as always, to our producer, Ryan Height, associate producer, Mason Mohan. Thank you to Mark Riley, uh, my old buddy, for helping produce this show by sending me that article. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.